this morning to your word. Transform us. We ask these things in your son's precious name. Amen. Uh, some of you may know or remember my friend Richard. was a college buddy of mine who um, has been visiting me several times over the last few summers. But a couple of summers ago, I think we played some music together up here with a couple other friends. Richard's a professor of preaching at Phillips Seminary in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And on his desk, he has a plaque. And this plaque says, Jesus loves you, but I'm his favorite. <laughs> and uh, it's, you know, seminary humor. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that uh, I'm confident that um, Jesus loves me, and, uh, but I'm not sure that I would like to be his favorite uh, because of what happens to some of his favorites. But um, here's the urgent question this morning that I think our te- texts will raise for us. Do you love me? Do you love me? I'm going to start with our text, which is John chapter 15, 1 through 17, and it is in the series we've been doing of the I Ams. Uh, as we go through Lent, we've done I Am, um, I can't remember them all. I'm the light, I'm the gate, I'm the good shepherd, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, um, so forth and so on. But today we'll be talking about I am the true vine. So here's the text, John 15, 1 through 17. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed or pruned by the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you... Ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I've said these things to you so that that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask and ask him in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. And there's an old saying about the Gospel of John. It goes something like this. John's Gospel is shallow enough for a child to wade, but deep enough for an elephant to swim. Why an elephant? I don't know. Um, 
It's big, I guess. It takes deep water for an elephant to swim. Besides, if you look it up on YouTube and you see they have videos of elephants swimming, and it's really cool to, to look at. But anyway, you get the idea. It's got to be deeper. Let's begin. I want to start with a story about working in the shallows of this passage. Uh, once upon a time, not very long ago, I was a freshman at the University of Oklahoma. Why are you laughing? And there I connected with a fairly new organization, I think. Uh, it was new. It was, you know, four or five years old at the time. It was called Campus Crusade for Christ. Now, the Campus Crusaders, of my era at least, loved John 15. They loved this passage. In particular, they loved two phrases from John 15. They loved, abide in me and bear fruit. And there were official Campus Crusade interpretations of those phrases. Abide in me, my Campus Crusade mentor assured me, meant to live a life controlled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And he handed me this little booklet called... Have you made the wonderful discovery of the spirit-filled life? And I think this is my original copy because it has actually the notes I think this guy wrote in here to me about how to do this. Anyway, um, in 16 tiny pages of diagrams and proof texts, I learned how to appropriate the Holy Spirit by practicing a technique called spiritual breathing. You guys, how many of you have experience with Campus Crusade? With Campus Crusade. Okay. Well, I know you do, but I mean, actually, you, because of your children? Okay. All right. Here's how it works. Spiritual breathing. Spiritually exhaling, I confessed my many sins. And not to put too fine a point on it, but as a college freshman at the tail end of the 1960s, I had plenty of sins to exhale. Naturally then, after spiritually exhaling, one needs to spiritually inhale, and in that meant that I appropriated or claimed the promise of the fullness of the Holy Spirit from Scripture, and sort of presto, I was filled with the Holy Spirit. It didn't matter how, my, how I felt, it was a fact, my mentor told me, that I was filled with the Holy Spirit because I had employed the technique, and that's what spiritual breathing is. It's kind of sort of like the old lifeguard with the drowning or the person who's trying to drown. It's like out with the bad air, in with the good, right? It's kind of that kind of thing. Next, uh, my campus crusade mentor informed me that if I was filled with the Holy Spirit, which I was no doubt because we had just practiced spiritual breathing, I would naturally bear fruit. And here's what bearing fruit means. Using the four spiritual laws, you will share Christ with others. And then he handed me a, another booklet called, Have You Heard of the Four Spiritual Laws? And this is the newer version. It's not my old one. Have You Heard of the Four Spiritual Laws? And then he, uh, and in 16 tiny pages of diagrams and proof texts, I learned how the Campus Crusade way to become a Christian in four simple steps. Controlled and empowered by the Holy Spirit through spiritual breathing and with the four spiritual laws in hand, any Christian could and should bear fruit. I did not last long in Campus Crusade. Uh, oddly, because I did what they told me. Um, 
I got up early, I read my Bible, I prayed, I wrote in my journal, um, and I read John chapters 14 and 15 a lot. And I read them over and over. Uh, and then I read the rest of John's Gospel. And then I read more of the Bible. And I discovered that we don't really get to appropriate the Holy Spirit whenever we want to. The Holy Spirit is not just at our beck and command. We don't get to claim scripture promises at our convenience. It's just the opposite, really. The Holy Spirit appropriates us, makes us his own, commands us, and claims us. In our passage today, Jesus says that he chose us. The Spirit, as Jesus told Nicodemus a few chapters earlier, is like the wind which blows where it wills, and we don't know when or where it comes from or where it goes. But summoned or not, the Spirit takes us along, and bearing fruit, I learned, means a whole lot more than sharing the four spiritual laws. In short, I was really no longer content to wade in the shallows of John's gospel. Now, John's gospel is full of metaphors. Jason and I were talking about this this morning. Full of metaphors, and they all sometimes get mixed and jumbled up. And so, since there weren't enough, I decided to add another one uh, about the water thing. So, we're not going to kind of move out of the shallows now and see what God is saying to us as we deeper into the or venture deeper into the waters of this text. Out to swim with the elephant, so to speak. Out where our feet can't touch the bottom past the safe zone buoys, still inside of shore, but we can't touch bottom. Are you with me? Want to go there? By the way, I don't have any life preservers either here, so we're going to be all right, I think. Um, one last thing before we leave those waters. This, was, uh, this is my old copy of my Campus Crusade Bible. This was the Bible, or the version of the Bible, that all my Campus Crusade leaders carried. Um, mine used to be kind of beat up, but I liked it so much that I, uh, I had it uh, refurbished. And they, so they rebound it, and they kind of waxed and polished the cover and put new end papers in and glued it all back together. It still falls open to John 14 and 15, though, oddly enough. So it's kind of, kind of weird. But anyway, um, the point of that is it's just the New Testament. That's all it is. That's what most of these guys carried. And to plumb the deeper waters of our text, we need to give John's gospel a little bit deeper context. And the reason we need a deeper or wider context, including the Hebrew scriptures, is that John is essentially retelling and reinterpreting the entire biblical narrative up to this point from the point of view of Jesus now. John is telling the deep and wide story of how Jesus completes or fulfills all of scripture. To understand John's gospel at this elephant swimming depth, which is a technical theological term, we need to be able to call upon all of Scripture for context. For example, when John's community heard the very first words of his gospel in the beginning, what would they have thought of? When, when John's gospel starts in the beginning, was the word, what would have come to their minds? Genesis, in the beginning. It's the very same words, Geneseo. It's kind of the very same word. They would, of course, recall that. John is connecting Jesus to the creation, to the creator God, and at the same time declaring that a new creation has dawned. And in this new creation, Jesus is the new light in the darkness. 
And when John quotes Jesus as saying, I am, over and over again in his gospel, his audience would hear an echo and a reinterpretation of Jehovah, Effie, or Yahweh, <laughs> declaring to Moses in Exodus, I am that I am. He would have heard, I am. Somehow, Jesus is not only connected to the I am, but is I am. For example, in John 8:58, Jesus says, Before Abraham was, before Abraham was, I am. That's it. And a double Old Testament reference there just for throwing in Abraham and I am. So when John begins the 15th chapter with Jesus declaring, I am the true vine, we should begin our interpretive work and our understanding of what Jesus is saying to us here by asking if the pattern continues. Is vine an Old Testament referent, an image or a metaphor from the Hebrew scriptures that Jesus is reclaiming and renewing or completing and fulfilling? So listen to what Isaiah says here in the fifth chapter of Isaiah. Isaiah says, Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it. He hewed out a wine vat in it. He expected it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And then I'll skip to verse 7. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the people of Judah are his pleasant planting. He expected justice, but he saw bloodshed. He expected righteousness, but heard cries of distress. Then again, from Jeremiah. Verse 21, chapter 2, verse 21. Yet I planted you, he's speaking to Judah. Yet I planted you as a choice vine from the purest stock. How then did you turn degenerate and become a wild vine? Sounds like a really bad spring break movie. Israel and Judah, grapes gone wild. Um, or maybe a really good sermon title, Jason. You write that down, you can have it. I'm giving it to you. <laughs> the people of Israel and Judah are indeed referred to as vines in the Hebrew scripture. Uh, and Yahweh is the vine dresser, the God, of Jeho the God Jehovah. But as commentators have pointed out, when Israel and Judah were referred to as vines, they were always degenerate vines. They did not bear the fruit that God expected when he planted and cultivated them. Instead, they bore wild grapes, grapes that yielded bloodshed and cries of distress. They were untrue, unfaithful vines. It's in this context, in the context of Israel and Judah as vines producing wild grapes, that we properly hear and interpret Jesus' claim to be the true vine. Jesus claims that he is the new, the true, and finally faithful Israel. He didn't just make up the metaphor. He borrowed it from the Old Testament scriptures. Jesus is reinterpreting the vine metaphor, and now it's about him. He's setting it right, fulfilling it. Then Jesus, as the true vine Israel, commands us to abide in him, to stay rooted and connected in him, which means that we are to become a branch of the new vine Israel, the new Israel. We are part of this new people, that he is choosing and producing as fruit of his vine. So we should remain faithful too, like Jesus, so that we can bear good fruit and not be cut off, thrown away to wither 
and be tossed in the fire. What bearing fruit means in the text is not exactly clear. Uh, it's left a little bit ambiguous, though I think we can safely infer from the Isaiah passage that it does not include bloodshed and cries of distress. But abide in me is pretty clear. Verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So abiding in him has something to do with keeping his commandments. And again, we have to hear the echo of the Old Testament. Who's the giver of the commandments in the Old Testament? Who gives the commandments? God. Through Moses, he gives the commandments, right? God gives the commandments. Now, Jesus is saying, I'm creator status. I'm claiming my relationship with the Father is such that I can give commandments. Essentially, Jesus is saying he and his Father are one, which doesn't, doesn't sound like a very surprising claim to us, but I think at the time it was kind of a doozy. You know, they were, it was kind of strange to hear. And what is this command that we are to obey, obey if we are to abide in his love or abide in him? Verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another. Repeated in verse 17, this I command you, that you love one another. And in keeping this command to love one another, we abide in him and bear much fruit. He abides in us. Does that make sense? So that's why I ask you at the beginning of the sermon, do you love me? You don't have to answer that now. Just think about it. This is important, though. I think it's even urgent. Do we love one another? Are we abiding in his love by loving one another? Are we staying connected to the true vine by the only way possible, by loving one another? Here in this body is where you love me. Here in this body, this church, this community, is where you love me. It's where I love you so that we together abide in Jesus, the true vine. Look around. Look around you. I'm not kidding. Look around. <laughs> Look around. Do Here in this community, this church, is where we abide in Jesus, and Jesus abides in us, and we love one another. As you love all these people, and as they love you. Look around. Do you want to bear fruit? Do you want to abide in Jesus and Jesus in you? Do you want to be a branch of his living, life-giving vine? Do you want not to be cut off by the vine dresser? Do you want to be his disciple? Do you want to glorify the Father? Then keep Jesus' command. Love one another. Do you want your joy to be made complete, full to overflowing? Do you want Jesus to call you friend? Do you want the Father to give you whatever you ask for in Jesus' name? Do you want to bear the fruit that lasts? Then look around you. Here's your command. Love one another. Shall we go even deeper into the waters of the text? Out so far that we can not only touch the bottom, but out to where we cannot even see the bottom. Out to where we cannot fathom the depths, where we cannot see the shore, we cannot swim to safety, where we cannot save ourselves. And out of these great depths, we hear Jesus' even more radical command. 
This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down one's life for one's friends. Are we in too deep here? Do you love me as Jesus loves me? Will you lay down your life for me? Will I lay down my life for you? Is this what it ultimately means to bear much fruit? To be, in an earlier metaphor that Jesus uses in John, to be like a grain of wheat that falls into the earth and dies to bear much fruit. Look around you. Do you love these friends enough to lay down your life for them? Do you truly, do we truly abide in Jesus, the true vine, as he has described this in John 15? Now, this would be a good place to end the sermon. and end, Well, it is a good place to end the sermon. We end the sermon, but we're not through. We have more to do. We have now to remember the one who loved us so much that he laid down his life for us, the one who commanded us to do the same for each other. We have now, in remembrance of him, to partake of the bread, his body, and the cup, his blood, the good fruit of the true vine, as a reminder of our calling to love one another as he loved us. So, Jason, move to communion now.